Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you would, get your Bibles out and open them up to the book of Esther. Esther chapter 4, uh, as was the case this morning, that is not a book of the Bible that we venture to an awful lot. So we'll just say that today is hard to find places in the Bible Sunday. But we're going to start in Esther chapter 4 and read a couple of verses there in just a moment that will set the stage for the things that we want to talk about this evening from the Word of God. It is great to see everybody tonight and great to be with you and great to have the opportunity once again to be able to uh, study together and to worship together and to just be together and to uh, involve ourselves in spiritual things and to replenish our souls. It's been actually kind of a, a lovely afternoon even though it's been cooler. The sun has been out for most of the day and just been a good day and just a good time for us to be able to close the day out once again by looking into God's Word. So let's read together in Esther chapter 4. I hope that's sufficient time for you to get over there. In Esther chapter 4, we're reading here the words of Mordecai. In Esther chapter 4, this is in verse 13. In Esther 4, 13, Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows... Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. What a powerful statement that is. Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I'm thinking here about Mordecai's statement, particularly in light of the upcoming election, which in many ways will decide the future of this country. As I talked about this morning from the book of Habakkuk, there is just a lot of uncertainty about the future of this nation. I think there are a lot of legitimate concerns about the direction of our country, particularly from a moral perspective. I'm not talking about from an economic standpoint or some of those other kinds of areas. I'm talking about from a moral standpoint. And as I spoke about last Sunday morning, there does seem to be just this rising tide of sin and darkness pressing in all around us. And that, of course, creates some restlessness. It creates some anxiety, especially for us as Christians. In fact, sometimes we look around at what's going on in our nation and we feel, well, we just kind of feel a little bit helpless. We feel like there's nothing that I can really do. Sure, maybe I can go to the ballot box on Tuesday and I can cast my vote and I can do that every couple of years, but beyond that, what, what's a Christian to do about the direction of a country, especially when that direction doesn't seem good? Well, have you ever thought that maybe, just maybe, that this, that this is our time? That just as Mordecai said to Esther in the middle of what was a giant crisis in Persia, that maybe this is our moment. Maybe this is the time that God has given us to do some things, to serve and to shine for Him. Perhaps we've actually been given an opportunity as the people of God to step up and step up in a big way. In a day and age and in a world where there is just so much confusion and conflict and doubt and distress, is it possible that God is giving us this moment so that we can help make a difference? Would you like to be able to do something for the United States of America? 
Would you like to be able to do something for our country? This wonderful country in which we live, would you like to be able to do something for our land today, this week? Something that would maximize your influence and your abilities and your position and your presence in this crucial point in history? Would you like to be able to do something that would genuinely help our nation in a positive way? Well, this evening, that's exactly what I'd like for us to think about. You know, if the tenor of this morning's sermon was to emphasize that God is in control and that He rules in the kingdoms of men, then this evening's sermon is designed to encourage us to think about our part. We need to consider the role that we play and the things that we need to be doing here in this land in which we live. And so this evening, I want to set before you three very simple ideas, three very practical kinds of ideas that you and I, all of us, can be doing at such a time as this that will help our country and it will, in fact, make it a better place. Are you ready for that? Let's just start that discussion exactly where it seems like Esther started off. Would you look at Esther's reply? Mordecai makes this just amazing statement about you're in the position that you're in. Maybe it's for this moment in time. Esther's reply, verse 15, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my young women, we will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Do you see there in verse 16 how Esther says she's going to do some fasting? Do you know what fasting and what that fasting was all about? Somebody maybe says, well, fasting is just going without food for a particular period of time. Well, yes, it is that. But even more so, that's talking about a time of prayer. That here is a matter that is so serious, it is so crucial that we can't eat because we are so fervent in prayer. And Esther is not the only person to realize that. There are lots of examples of that in the Bible. David did that. Daniel did that. Hezekiah did that. Paul did that. In fact... Can I direct your attention to the Apostle Paul and his writings? Look with me, if you will, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, let's just put in this just important passage in this discussion. If we're talking about our nation, if we're talking about our leaders, if we're talking about the place in which we live, this verse needs to come to bear as we think about prayer and the role that it plays. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, I'm reading here in the first three verses. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. But then verse 2, he gets more specific. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Then he says, this is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. You know, one fellow said recently, he said, I don't know if the electoral college will listen, but I know that God always will. And you know what? I think that's what a passage like this is bearing out. That yeah, I may not be able to control all the things that my leaders do, everything that's going on in the political system, 
But I know I can go to God. I know I can go to the one who does have the power to do some things. And this passage points out what it is that pleases the Lord. When we are praying, when we are praying for those who rule over us, those who are in the positions of authority, and that we are praying that we can lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Can I just remind you that this text was actually written before the United States of America existed and before the Constitution was ever written. This text was written when Nero was reigning as a despicable emperor and tyrant. Neither was, neither, excuse me, Nero was either insane or he just played the part of an insane person really, really well. Here's a man who had brought waves of persecution against Christians. He had imprisoned Paul at least once and he would do so again. And there's not a whole lot to be said in a positive light about the government of Nero. And yet Paul still said, we need to pray. And we need to pray for him. You know, I've heard various people say, maybe you have as well, and it seems like a lot of these are the people who are celebrities and people who are in positions of of a lot of influence. But I've heard several people say, if so-and-so wins this election, then I'm moving out of the country. Well, that's certainly their right and that's their prerogative to do that, but I'll tell you this, it doesn't matter to me who wins this election. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray. And why? Because that is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, Paul says. And can we be more specific about that? The kind of praying that we're talking about here is not simply praying that my candidate will win or praying that my party will be triumphant or that the policies that I want to see implemented will be implemented as if somehow we can vote the kingdom of God into office. No, the praying that Paul talks about here is desiring earnestly that those who have the rule over us, that they will help us, or at the very least they will allow us to lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. I'm asking you this evening, can you do that kind of praying? Will you do that kind of praying? You know, that the person who fills the highest office of the land and all of the other offices that come after that, that they will be influenced by principles of righteousness, that they will protect the innocent, that they will uphold law and justice so that we can indeed live peaceful and quiet lives. That is God's will according to 1 Timothy chapter 2. That is what God wants us to do. But I'm going to suggest to you tonight that we can't do that. And furthermore, we won't do that if we don't believe in the power of prayer. Can I add James chapter 5 to this discussion? In James chapter 5 and in verse 16, look here about what James says. I'm looking here at the last half of the verse. first half of the verse talks about confessing sin to one another. But then the last half, James chapter 5 verse 16, James says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Do you believe that? Do you believe that even just one person who is praying, a righteous person, that that can actually make a difference? You know, sometimes we pray for like you know, five seconds for something and then we raise our head and we open our eyes and when the entire world or whatever it is that we prayed for isn't immediately made the way that we prayed for it to be, we kind of just throw our hands up in there and say, oh, that didn't do any good. 
That was a bust. That was a waste of time. Didn't, I don't know why I even bothered praying about that. Listen to me very carefully this evening. I'm not advocating some kind of TV preacher, genie in the lamp, rub it long enough, rub it hard enough, and you'll be able to get everything that you want. That's not the kind of prayer that the Bible talks about. The prayer being discussed in James chapter 5 is the prayer of faith. The prayer that comes from a deep and abiding relationship with our Heavenly Father. It is the kind of praying that says, Lord, here I am. I want to do your will. That is the kind of praying that James says has tremendous power and effect. And he even gives an example of that. Look in verse 17. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Just a regular guy like you and I. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. We need to be doing more praying with the confident expectation that God hears and that God will respond. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for those who rule over us. Pray for the events and the things that are going on in our land because prayer matters. In fact, can I just give you this as kind of a simple take home? Maybe this week in order to kind of fight against that urge to moan and gripe about our leaders and the people who are elected, that maybe instead of going on Facebook and sharing all kinds of negative posts, things that sometimes are slanderous and maybe aren't even true, we haven't even checked to see if it's actually true and, and correct reporting, maybe instead of going that route, what I'm going to do, when I'm urged to almost just say something negative about our leaders, I'm going to stop and I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray that they will enable us to live those peaceful and quiet lives godly and dignified in every way. You can do that this week. I can do that this week being fervent in prayer at a time such as this. Which brings it then to this second idea, this second thing that you and I need to be doing, and that is that you and I, you and I need to be remembering where it is that our citizenship belongs. You know the verse that I'm looking for, don't you? It's in Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians, the third chapter, Paul says this in verse 20. In Philippians 3 and in verse 20, and it is interesting that Paul says this, considering that he is a prisoner at this time in Roman incarceration. The government has him handcuffed. And so Paul says this, maybe to remind himself, but certainly to remind the Philippians. In Philippians 3 and in verse 20, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, citizenship means a lot to us today, and it meant a lot in Paul's day and time. Paul was a Roman citizen. Now, not everybody who lived in the Roman Empire at that time actually had citizenship, but Paul, he did. And it granted to him certain privileges that only citizens had. If he deployed that citizenship, for example, it would give him civil rights that the ordinary citizen did not have. In fact, in Acts chapter 22, Paul used his citizenship to get out of an illegal flogging. Being a citizen of Rome, it was important. And it carried with it some power because it made you a part of the most powerful and influential empire in the world. And yet Paul says in Philippians 3.20 that I'm really not a Roman citizen. No, he says I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. Christian, do you see what Paul is saying here? 
You and I are part of a different world. That our concerns and our interests, our things, the privileges and the blessings that we enjoy, they don't come from here. We are part of something otherworldly, something else. We are, to use some biblical language, we are pilgrims. We are sojourners. Now that certainly doesn't mean that we just have zero interest in what's going on here. Sojourners do have some interest in the world and in the land in which they live. But make no mistake about it, we are aliens. That's another one of those King James Bible words. We are resident aliens, but in the words of that grand old hymn that we often sing, this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Maybe a more current illustration might help here. I've certainly seen over the last several years lots in the news about Brexit. If you've maybe not studied about that, you've certainly heard about that. Brexit is how Great Britain, the United Kingdom, how they were making some moves politically to get out of the European Union. Going to get out of some trade agreements and some things of that nature and they were going to leave the European Union. Well, actually earlier this year, January the 31st, that actually happened. Well, when I heard about that, I... I had some interest in that. I was kind of curious what that was about. I read a news story or two about that. Saw some clips on the news about it. I was kind of kind of wondering, what does all that mean? How's all that shake out? I had some interest in that. But I didn't obsess about that. I didn't worry about it. I didn't get into arguments with people about it. And why? Because I am not a citizen of that country. I had no vote in the matter. And frankly, I didn't want a vote in the matter. And so while it may have been of some interest to me, it was not of vital importance. Do you understand what Paul is saying here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20? Our citizenship is in heaven. Now do I have an interest in the goings-on in my country? Do I have an interest in this upcoming election? Sure I do. Will it end up affecting my world? Absolutely it will. But am I obsessed about it? Constantly worrying about it? Talking endlessly about it? Posting incessantly about it? Arguing with others about it? Absolutely not. Because at the end of the day, even though my birth certificate does say that I'm a citizen of the United States of America, I've been born again. I have been born again into a better country. I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, a kingdom that is ruled by one true king. I am part of a kingdom that will never end, a kingdom that will last for eternity. And as a result, my heart and my mind and my soul and my priorities and my interests and my concerns, they are there. They are right up there, right here. This is just a place that I'm visiting I'm just here for a limited period of time. I am a sojourner. And the reason that Paul had to write those things in Philippians 3 verse 20, yes, was maybe to remind himself considering where he was, but he really needed to remind those Christians in Philippi, and he was reminding you and I. Because sometimes, sometimes we just forget. Sometimes because because our stuff, and our jobs, and our families, and our friends, and all of our things are so rooted in this country, we do get caught up in the things of of this place. 
We get wrapped up in the national election because that's the big thing going on. We want everything in our country to be tailored to our comforts and our conveniences. And yes, our rights, we want it to be exactly how we want it to be. But Paul says, Christian, that's not our ultimate purposes. And that's not what we're all about. Paul says we need to raise our eyes, raise our visions. Look again at the end of verse 20. We need to raise our eyes because from heaven we are awaiting a Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. That's what matters. That's something that will far outlast any election or any other thing that might be going on in this temporal world. Where is our citizenship? And maybe the reason I'm wanting to say right here from a practical standpoint why we need to remember where our citizenship is is because that affects how we live. In Romans chapter 12, let me just grab this verse real quick. In Romans chapter 12, look in verse 1. In Romans 12 and in verse 1, Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The way that we avoid becoming conformed to this world, being pressed to the mold of this world, being just like everybody else in this world and in this nation is by remembering that this world is not our home. When we have that otherworldly mindset that I'm going to heaven, I'm just here for a short time, which means I need to be living in such a way so that I am prepared for that place up there, then that affects everything about how we live. We need to remember where our citizenship truly belongs. Which brings you then to this final idea this evening. And that is, as we're trying to see how we can be of benefit and how we can help the United States in this coming week and in the coming days and however long we might be here, we need to resist the urge of getting all caught up in thinking about what we can't do and as a result allow that to hinder us from doing the things that we can do. You know, anytime we think about America and about some of the eroding moral foundations we have a tendency to get really frustrated about that. Because there are some really big issues in our country that really seem to be beyond the reach of anything that we can do about it. You know, I cannot stop gay marriages from happening. I just, I can't. I can't stop that. I cannot stop the legalization of marijuana or other drugs. I can vote repeatedly again and again for candidates who may oppose abortion and yet... Abortion mills will continue to murder babies every single day. And so as a result, it really doesn't take long before you just kind of start feeling like you're just kind of beating your head against the wall. This isn't doing any good. Ah, come on, I mean, I'm trying here. I'm doing what I can do, but I mean, I just really can't do anything in the grand scheme of things. Maybe what we need to be reminded of is the power of what God can do with even just one person. Would you look with me in the Psalms, please, in Psalm 106? In Psalm 106, there the psalmist talks about the value of one person, 
Just one person being used by God to accomplish His will. In Psalm 106, as this great psalm, it recounts the, throughout the history of the nation of Israel, we're told in verse 23, Psalm 106 verse 23, Therefore He said He would destroy them had not Moses, His chosen one, stood in the breach before Him to turn away God's wrath from destroying them. Moses was one guy. And yet he made a huge difference for that entire nation of Israel. And of course, biblically, Moses is not the only one. There's a lot of people who stood in the breach, so to speak. You remember Abraham? How he kind of bargained with God for the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah? Or do you remember Daniel? Once again, one guy right there in the midst of that big, evil, wicked Babylonian nation, one guy was able to provide a remnant for Israel. There's lots of people, especially when you add in the point that we just made a few moments ago about prayer. There's lots of people who even just as one individual, Elijah, that prayer that he offered, was able to make a huge difference. Just one individual. But I want to be clear about that. What we're talking about here is we're talking about one person who is living out their faith. We're talking about one person who is practicing genuine Christianity. You know, Moses was not some occasional worshiper of God who also on the weekends happened to be a worshiper of the golden calf. No, that's not the kind of person we're talking about here. Moses was somebody who faithfully served the Lord with everything that he had all of the time. And the same thing goes for guys like Abraham or Daniel or Elijah or Esther or Paul or any of the other people in Scripture who fully lived out their faith. These are people who lived out their faith in a real, authentic way and as a result, that was attractive to the unbelieving world around them. I need to ask myself, have I decided that, well, since I can't affect what goes on in the halls of Washington, D.C., that somehow what that means is, is that means I can just live any old way that I want here in Somerset, Kentucky because nobody's really noticing me. Nobody's paying attention to me. I'm not that important. I can't do anything about the big issues, so, so I'll just not do anything at all. That kind of defeatist mindset isn't going to help. That's not going to help our country. Is it possible, though, that maybe I could decide instead that I'm going to be the person, even if nobody else does, I'm going to serve the Lord passionately and fully and be wholly committed to Him and His cause. If I'm involved in repelling people away from the kingdom of God by my hypocrisy or by my bad example, then America will have become a worse place to live. But if on the other hand, if my manner of life is able to attract someone to Jesus and to His Word, then immediately the United States has improved exponentially, hasn't it? Because the fact of the matter is, this nation is not going to be saved in the voting booth. In fact, you can't save a nation. You save people, individuals. And individuals are saved whenever they are brought to Jesus Christ. Many times just by people like you and me. People who are being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And that's what I need to do. I need to be a faithful Christian. I may not be able to do big, ginormous things, but I can do little things. I can, and in reality, that is a big thing. 
Can I just suggest to you a couple of quick ideas about things that you and I can do to improve our country? How about, first of all, how about us just building strong families? You know, nations are built upon the strength of the family unit. And never has there been more concern about raising children and having marriages that go the distance than right now here in 2020 America. You know, what are the Mormons known for? I guess there's probably several things the Mormons are known for, but you know, one of the things in a positive way that they are known for is for having strong families. Don't you wish that was something that we were known for? That, hey, I I don't know much about those folks down there in the Church of Christ, but I mean, look at them. They've got amazing families. Hey, families that people love one another, they stick together. That's a feather in the cap, isn't it? You want to help America? Then husbands, love your wives, Ephesians 5.25. Wives, respect your husbands, Ephesians 5.33. Children, obey your parents, Ephesians 6.1. Parents, raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6 verse 4. You do those kinds of things, then you are immediately making America a better place to live. Or what about in the workplace? In our jobs, are we working hard In the workplace? You know, we're going to go back to work tomorrow. We get the day off. Many of us do on Tuesday, but then we're going to go right back to work right after that. But many of our co-workers are liable tomorrow to come in just kind of slogging in there, and they're just kind of grouching and complaining about, oh, got to go to work again. Had to get up early and go back to the grind. Well, is that going to be your attitude, Christian? Or could you be different? In Colossians, the third chapter, Paul actually says, that people who are employees, servants, slaves, they just have a different attitude about the workplace environment when they're following Jesus Christ. In Colossians 3 verses 22 through 24, those who are in the workplace, they recognize that they're really not even working for their employer. They're working for Jesus Christ. And so they work heartily. They put in a hard day's work for an honest day's wage. I'm saying to you, Christian. That if you will do that, if you will work hard, that, that's something you can do to make America a better place. Or what about just being more joyful? Being more thankful? You know, does America have problems? Yeah, it certainly does and it always has. But aren't we still really blessed to live here? Yes, we are. We are in a tremendous time to have peace and security as we do, we know even with the deficit as huge as it is, we still know a level of prosperity that is far above what other nations presently or in the past have ever even known. We get to drive on good roads, despite our complaints sometimes about those roads. Our mail gets delivered to our doorstep. We have electricity and running water and indoor plumbing. There's health care that is provided. There's educational opportunities. So many good things that we enjoy. And on top of all of that, we have the freedom to practice our religious beliefs freely. We were able to come here this morning, weren't we? And offer worship unto God without the fear of man. I mean, how, how great and wonderful is that? One fellow said this. He said, Americans complaining are like the little girl who complained that the air conditioner wasn't working in her Rolls Royce. And all too often, that's exactly how we are. I'll say again, I understand that there are troubles in this country. I get that. But boy, oh boy, there's some good things that God has blessed us with in this land. 
And as the people of God, we ought to be the first to recognize. And it ought to show that we are joyful about that, that we are thankful for those kinds of things. Again, that's something that all of us can be involved in. And these are just a few ideas. It's not an exhausting list by any means. We're talking about things that we have the capacity to do that are within our control. I need to be asking right now, am I doing what I can as a Christian? I don't want to be whining about how I can't fix all the giant social ills of the day and as a result tell myself, well, I don't really have to do anything. No. I have a responsibility to let my light shine and draw people to Christ. Am I doing what I can? Is what I'm doing, is it going to be able to end poverty and homelessness in America by 6 o'clock tomorrow night? No. Is what I do going to be able to shut down pornography forever? No. But by doing what I can to serve the Lord and bring glory to Him, I make this country a better place. You just stop and think about it. If every Christian who lived in this country decided and made the conviction that I'm going to live all in, full-tilt Christianity this week, can you deny that in seven days, a week from now, that America wouldn't be a better place? You know it would be. It would. It would be drastically improved. Why then can I not do my little part to brighten the corner where I am? One final verse, and it's in Proverbs the 14th chapter. I'll save you a trip because I'll put it right here on the screen. In Proverbs 14 and in verse 34, the wise man says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I am proud to be an American. And I am proud of much of what America has done and stood for throughout its history. But above all of that, I am also a concerned Christian. I am concerned about the things that are happening in our country as it does seem that America is spinning right off of its moral axis. And so what I am encouraging at a time such as this is that all of us, and that does include me, that when we leave the confines of this assembly, as we retire the thoughts of this lesson this evening, that we will then go out into the world this very week and we'll maybe make a little bit of extra effort to put these kinds of ideas that we've talked about into practice because any time that we practice righteousness, well, that first of all, that makes us better Christians and secondly, better Christians make this a better nation. Would you pray with me, please? Let's go to God in a word of prayer. Our dear gracious God and our Father in heaven, Father, we come before you once again this day thanking you for the opportunity to consider the things that are going on in our world and in our nation and to consider them in the light of your word. Father, we are concerned about the direction of things that we see going on around us. Father, we confess that all too many times we complain and we moan and we throw up our hands and act as if there's not anything that we can do. Help us, Father, to recognize that you have placed us here upon this earth and in this place so that we would indeed be the salt of the earth and the light of this world. Help us to recognize the opportunities that are before us to shine your light. Help us, Father, to be more prayerful. Help us, Father, that we might understand the power of that. Help us, Father, to never forget where our citizenship truly is so that we might live differently from this world. 
And help us, Father, to do what we can, where we can, so that we can bring righteousness into this place of our temporary sojourn. We pray that you would be with us throughout our life, be with our nation, be with our leaders, so that we might be able to live those peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. Bless our rulers. Help them to be influenced by your things and by your word. Be with us always, Father. We thank you so much for Jesus and that he's able to bring us into that eternal kingdom that we can be with you forever and ever. And it is through his glorious name that we offer this prayer. And amen.